0: you're listening to the sticks in the six podcast
1: hello everybody and welcome to episode 49 of sticks in the six i'm your host andrew forbes here with my co-host peter barracchini and peter trades expansion draft the nhl draft the world has changed for over 200 prospects and yet the story is the montreal canadians but first off how are you doing this
0: week doing great man like you said it was a busy busy week a lot of news a lot of shock but before we dwell into that i just want to give a big shout out to london ontario's maggie mcneil who won Canada's first gold medal at the summer games in Tokyo, Japan right now, before we started recording, I was watching it. She was phenomenal in her event. So big congrats to Maggie on getting Canada on the board.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I believe it was a 14 year old Canadian also finished fourth in the, uh, I think it was the 400 meter, uh, swim, um, summer macintosh yes that's right summer macintosh what a name first of all but second of all two years ago she was in elementary school and now she's swimming at the olympics in tokyo what a story for her and uh yeah just unbelievable swim um you know fourth in this case normally normally we we don't celebrate that but i mean just incredible what she's she's been able to do and accomplish at such a young age i can't yeah. even remember what i was doing at 14 years old let alone swimming in the olympics so um yeah great uh, great story there and, and canada is off to a hot start in in tokyo
0: i was spending most of my time playing video games and getting ready for high school that's what i was doing at that age
1: yeah i think i was still procrastinating then and i think i that, that lasted <laughs> right right through university years so uh swimming swimming in the olympics was definitely out of the question for me
0: yeah i i hear i hear that
1: yeah no, absolutely. but um, yeah, like i said, uh, a big week in the n h l um, we uh, we got a lot of trades to talk about. We have the expansion draft to talk about um a very interesting expansion draft, not not even close to what we saw with the the golden knights when they mm-hmm. came in um but uh let's let's start it off with the expansion draft because um I had so many questions going into it. I had so many questions coming out of it. And I just, I, I thought for sure the Seattle Kraken were going to be a playoff team when we, when we saw their roster following the expansion draft. And I came away thinking the complete opposite. Um, a couple of big names, obviously Giordano uh, he'll be headed to Seattle. We saw Everly, we saw, you know, the Flurry brothers, another, another big, uh, Theme of the week was the brothers yes. theme, um, but uh, yeah, we saw Hayden Flurry and Kale Flurry both both uh, join the Seattle Kraken. Um, simply put, not the expansion team you you would have seen. Um, you know, Brandon Tanev, another big name. Obviously, our Leafs, uh, Jared McCann was the was the player that we saw go to Seattle as well. Um, but what what were your thoughts coming away from that expansion draft? A lot of a lot of players that maybe were on the bottom six side of of uh, any an NHL roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was hoping that Seattle would swing for the fences and go for a Vladimir Tarasenko. Maybe try and get a Carey Price. Um, it, it looks like his injury or his surgery it may not be as serious as we once thought, and maybe you know, he would be ready for the start of the season. So I was thinking maybe if you were to able to plug those pieces, you would have a really competitive team right out from the start. And their defense is already looking pretty great. If I do say so myself right now, Giordano, Alexiak, Larson, Susie, Flurry, Jeremy, Lausanne, Vince Dunn. They got some really good depth on the back end. Up front, aside from Everly, Gord, you, you, uh, Jonas Donskoy had a pretty good season in that middle six role with Colorado. It, it, I I mean, I'm wondering if, I am I mean, it's looking like this, that maybe they want to have at least some cap space let them try and be competitive in the free agent market, try and get, um, you know, some big-name players even on the market, maybe even try and lure in a Gabriel Landeskog, maybe. I don't know, but even if they were to draft a... Uh, Tarasenko, maybe he could still flip that for assets. But I, we were hoping that they would be a playoff team. I'm not sure that's going to be the case right now. But, um, you know, in 2022, there's a kid by the name of Shane Wright. Um, that's, you know, I, I heard he's really good. I don't know if you watch the U.A. 18s but he looked OK and He may be, you know, a cornerstone piece in the future, having him and Beneers one, two up the middle. I mean, if that's in their game plan, I mean, it it really isn't a bad way to think about that because you're still looking for the future as an organization. But yeah, different from the way that things unfolded with uh, then compared to the Vegas Golden Knights and their expansion draft.
1: Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Golden Knights, and they they were contenders right off the right off the giddy-up uh, mm-hmm. in their first year. And, um, you know, I think Seattle's going to have a little bit more of a – they're going to need to sell it a little bit more to free agents, at least this this time around, just simply because of where they're at. I think bringing a guy like Landis Cog who obviously, you know, wants to probably be on a playoff team, I think that makes it a little bit tougher at mm-hmm. this point. That being said, obviously they do have a bright future. Maddie a great pick in the in the uh, you know second overall in the draft. Um, I do think that the Buffalo Sabres were also gonna contend for Shane Wright this year. I think that's just a given yep. um, but uh yeah, no, <laughs> Seattle definitely can look that that way as well and and consider you know there are some some pretty big stars uh that that are gonna be available in the twenty twenty two draft. Obviously, you and I'll get to that uh at some point uh you know, a very early rankings. Um, for the 2022 draft, as we get mm-hmm. back into the grind of things for next year's NHL selection um, day, I guess let's call it. But uh, yeah, I, I just thought like there was a few names that I just came away with that I, I just didn't, you know, didn't really sit well with me. I guess um, I, I too wanted to see them make kind of a a, a big leap here and, and go for a Tarasenko or go for a Carey Price. Even if you took Tarasenko on and maybe you know ate half of his salary and, and traded him out for assets, that that was something that I was thinking. Um, I didn't mind the the pickups of Mason Appleton. I think that was a solid pickup for them. A depth yes. role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan Bastian, not a bad pickup. Colin Blackwell, a lot of a lot of bottom six guys. And that's that's again, I'm not criticizing the fact that they picked these guys. I think. I think there was just some some different options out there, and I thought for sure there was going to be some moves that maybe forced them to leave one unprotected player alone and 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 go for guys like a Morgan Geeky from uh, from Carolina as well. Um, mm-hmm. But there wasn't really a lot of moves that were made either. And that, that to me, was a little bit shocking. But again, just a quick run through some of the players. Obviously, Yanni Gord, um, great pickup from Tampa. Mm-hmm. Cali Yarncrock, uh, Cole Lind from Vancouver. Um, we mentioned Brandon Tanev. Um, a, a very interesting pick from Columbus is Gavin Bayrouther. I thought I, I didn't understand that one. That was yeah. one of the ones that kind of. Sad, a little weird with me, but again...
0: Everyone was thinking Max Domi.
1: Absolutely, Max Domi. And and very interesting, as you mentioned, Carey Price's injury, not nearly as bad as we thought. Uh, they made it seem like he was going to be, you know, out for the year or out at least until mid-season. Um, now we're finding out 10 to 12 weeks, he'll be ready for, for the start of the year, probably. Uh, but yeah, you, you said it. Their defense is going to be solid. Uh, Will Borgen, Dennis Chalowski... Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince Dunn, Cale Flurry, Hayden Flurry, Mark Giordano, Adam Larson, great pickup, great signing, Jeremy Lawson, um, Curtis uh, Curtis McDermott was an interesting one for me. I, I didn't really care for it. Jamie Alexiak, great signing, a lot of a lot of talk about him coming to Toronto. That obviously mm-hmm. didn't happen. I, I love the pickup of Car, uh, Carson Souzy as well. Um, I thought that was good. And then Chris Drieger Annette, and net uh, and Vitek Vanacek. We talked about Vanacek, uh, mid-season with uh, with the way he was playing with Washington. Yeah. Um, again, just some solid pieces. Uh, good start, good build. Um, obviously, the draft was big for them. They had some some great picks in the draft as well. Um and it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how how this all works out for them. But, um, yeah, the expansion draft was definitely an interesting one. Uh, totally different from what we expected. Um, but you know, it is what it is, and I think Ron Francis has it has a picture in his head of what he wants to do, and that's just the the, the route he went
0: interesting side note in regards to veneers um when they were talking about the selection and emily kaplan who did a fantastic job covering it by the way um was talking about you know his past and his education apparently he want he's going into you know the medical field and his favorite show right now is a show by the name of dr pimple popper and he's in the and he might be into the whole dermatological aspect. So I watched that show. I ain't going to lie. I find it really interesting. And yeah, that was just a little fun fact about veneers um, uh, from Emily Kaplan. Very interesting. And, and another player going for his PhD is Alex
1: Ovechkin. Um, yes. that's, that's been kind of the talk of Twitter. Everyone's like, why are we talking about this right now?
0: But <laughs> Dr. I mean,
1: Dr. Ovi uh, sets the record for goals scored. I mean, that's something we'll talk about down the road, possibly if he continues to trend the way he is in, in goal scoring, but uh, that'll be the headline. Dr. Ovi, mm-hmm. Dr. 8. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, as I mentioned, uh, the expansion draft wasn't the only thing going on this week. We had a lot of sci- or a lot of trades That rather. Um, also, we had Kilma Carr, Sign a six-year extension Mm -hmm. with the Colorado Avalanche. Um, And the crazy thing about this is it really sets the tone for these young defensemen um, in terms of what what we can expect to see these guys make. And I know right now uh, Dougie Hamilton's out there looking for a contract as well, but that being said, six years, $54 million. He signed through 2026-27 with a cap hit of nine million per season. Did we expect any less for a guy who in really his second year is competing
0: for a Norris trophy? Um no, I I mean to be honest, I think nine million isn't enough. I I think he would have probably hit double digits and I'm don't want to spoil this, but hearing or seeing this, uh, Seth Jones sign for $9.5 million, everyone was in shock and awe at that. And then you see that Kale McCarr signed for 500000 less. I mean, given that what he's done as a rookie or in his rookie season with 50 points in 57 games and was a point-per-game player this season, dealt with a bit of injuries, but, I mean, 44 points in 44 games— is still nothing to like, you know, sneer at. And we talked about this with Miro Heiskanen too, that, you know, he had his contract at about 8.5 million, I believe. And I wondered if that was going to set the market and it looks like it did because uh, 8.45, sorry. Um, it set the market for Seth Jones, even though I'm not a, really big fan of that contract, but for kill McCarr to earn just slightly over what a Heiskin and given his impact as, in his first two seasons, I wouldn't expect anything less. Although maybe 10 million was, if he earned that, I would probably give 10 million to kill McCarr and especially over a longer period of time. Like if it was like 8 million or 10 million over eight years, I would have no issue doing that, knowing that what he can do on the back end. Yeah, look, I, I think honestly
1: this is the perfect deal for for Makar. And and here's why. Um, mm-hmm. you and I have talked a lot about it on the pod. Um I think Elliot Friedman's mentioned it as well. The cap right now is gonna be stale for the next five years.
0: Yeah. Chances
1: mm-hmm. are it's not going up much. Um nine million at the at where the cap is right now is a big percentage of his team's overall cap space yes that said he bet on himself in the sense that over that five year span he is gonna he's gonna continue to produce he's gonna be the type of defenseman that's gonna be up for the Norris trophy he's gonna be up you know among the top scoring defensemen each and every year on top of that, he gives himself a one-year window after the five-year stale cap to really prove what he's worth. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that cap of his jump after that six years. Yeah. I think that that's why you didn't see him sign an eight-year deal at $9 million. You didn't see him sign seven years. He signed six years, gives him that five-year window where he's earning the $9 million, and then gives him one year following that to really – you know, maximize what his next contract's going to be. And that's why we saw, you know, I think the Avs are willing to bet on it. I think, I think, uh, Kale's, you know, willing to bet on it. And, um, I wouldn't be surprised is that after this six years, we're seeing a, a, a much bigger deal for, for the young, young defenseman. So, um, I, I personally love it. I think it's a great deal. Um, at this point in time, it is a fair amount of their cap. That said, I think he's earned every penny of it. And and why not capitalize when you can, um, especially at such a young age um, and and in an NHL where the cap is going to remain pretty similar um, over the next four or five years.
0: And given the space that they have to work with to down the line too, I mean, 11 million for, or 11%, sorry, for the percentage of cap, like you mentioned, 11.3 for Miko Rantanen. Nathan McKinnon is only taking up 7.7%. And you can bet that after 2022-23, there's going to be a significant pay increase right there as well. He ain't going to take up 7% of the cap. He's going to end up in around the same range, even maybe 12%, of that cap is going to go to Nathan McKinnon as well. And based on that, too, uh, it looks like maybe Gabriel Landis-Coggi is going to probably try and find work elsewhere. Um if if they can make some if they could work something out, great, because I know that I think the issue with Landis Cog now is term. I just don't see it right now with that contract with Kale McCarr. Yeah, now there are there are some reports that Landis Cog
1: might look to stay in Colorado, but that being said, it would have to be a short term deal because mm-hmm. um and I don't I'm not sure that's what he's looking for. I think he's looking for more of the stability, looking for you know, uh, somewhere to, to really f- kind of get near the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, what's interesting about the Caleb Carr deal is really, I, I really thought Colorado was going to kind of head towards the the Boston mentality where, you know, these players are taking team-friendly deals, really keep the core together. And I think you're on to something when you say that McKinnon is going to be upwards of probably 12 to 15% of the cap um when it, when his next contract comes around as well and that'll be really telling as to where this team is um and, and remember McKinnon works out with with Crosby they li- you know they're from the same same mm-hmm. area yep. um Crosby's mentality is you know to keep the core together you have to take a a good deal that is team friendly as well absolutely um, so it'll be interesting to see where McKinnon stands on that, and I, I personally think he's gonna he's gonna lean towards maybe that cap, uh team friendly cap, um, but when you see a guy like Kale McCarr cash in at nine million, um, obviously the questions start to start to come come about on whether or not this team will be able to stay together forever, um, yeah. or at least until these guys are in their later years. So that's something that we'll definitely keep an eye on. But um, yeah, I mean. Like I said, great deal for Makar right now. Uh, I think right now is the time to capitalize on it. And, yeah, I, I, I don't mind that deal for, for a guy of his uh, – what he can create um, in a game like that. So that said, you and I mentioned it off the top of the show. It was a week full of trades. Um Sorry, I'm gonna one more one more signing. I forgot about the Taylor Hall signing. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably because he resigned in Boston, and and I really didn't want to see that happen. But <laughs> we don't uh, care about that. We don't care about that. No, but uh, shout out to Taylor Hall, who also you yeah. know, in talking about the Boston mentality and, and taking team friendly deals, um, four years at 24 million, six million per. Um, for a guy of his caliber. I think six million is a steal. Um, again, we talk about the cap, we talk about it not really moving, um, and he's a guy that uh, can really, I, I think, is going to really succeed in that Boston, uh, that Boston system. So um, definitely a great signing for the team, great signing for him, and he 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 becomes a piece of that uh, that Boston core that has been so successful over so many
0: years. Yeah, definitely. And ever since the trade from Buffalo to Boston, he had. 14 points in 16 games during the regular season. So you know that, you know, rough situation in Buffalo. We, we've talked about that many times. The fact well, that. Weren't right they now, good? T- yeah. Uh, well, uh, defined good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, six million. I, I mean, that was the kind of cap head I was leading towards before he signed that one year, $8 million deal. Um, it seems fair given the fact that you know he did have a steep decline in his production. He's on a better team right now. He is in that second dairy scoring role. Um, I I I, th- I think this one is more fair compared to what he signed. I, that again, it was only a one year bet on myself. Clearly, it didn't quite work out. But he took that lesser deal just to stay in Boston, and playoff performance really wasn't quite there five points in 11 games, I would have thought that, you know, they would expect more out of him, but you know, what? they have more time to try and gel together get that chemistry going. And he is definitely going to have a significant impact on the team in the future. So, um, good on him on that.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like I said, great signing, but we do have a lot of trades to talk about and we know you're dying to get into Maple Leafs talk. So let's quickly dive into some of these trades. Um, <laughs> We'll quickly jump on the Jake Bean trade. Uh, great pickup by the the Blue Jackets. They they acquired Jake Bean from the Carolina Hurricanes, who have an overload of of uh, defensemen there in in Carolina. Um, in return, they get a second round pick, um, the forty fourth pick in this year's draft. Um, so decent decent pickup for for uh, Carolina, but a, a great pickup for Columbus, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I I made a little joke on Twitter. Well, not really a joke, but an observation. If the Maple Leafs weren't so deep on the left hand side, with Riley, Muzzin, Sandine, um, I would have given up the second round pick in this year's draft to get Jake Beaton. Mainly because he is really good in transition, very good on defense and breaking up uh, entries and breaking plays up, has the ability to take control of the puck when it when it's on a stick, great two way mentality. Um Definitely a big win for Columbus, who even, like, managed to steal Alex Nedeljkovic away early on, earlier in the week from the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, Oh, sorry, Detroit. Um, Different trade, but the fact that, you know, Carolina lost two really great players for, I mean, uh, they made the most of that second-round pick. But uh, just Carolina losing two players in Nedeljkovic and even being right here, I think that's a really great pickup for Columbus.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. You mentioned Nadelkovic, and this this trade kind of boggled my mind a little bit. Um, the Detroit Red yeah. Wings and Steve Eiserman stole Alex Nadelkovic from the Carolina Hurricanes uh, for Jonathan Bernier. Or the free agent rights to uh, Jonathan Bernier in a 2021 third-round pick. Um, obviously, Nadelkovic, 25 years old, uh, he went 15-5-3 and, and led the NHL with a 932 save percentage and a 190 goals against average last season he was a finalist for the Calder trophy um he finished third in in Calder voting just this whole trade kind of boggled my mind because to me when you have Peter Mrazek who definitely has had some injury issues over the last couple of seasons and you have James Reimer who we love in in Leafs nation just that smile we'll never get it out of our heads but Alex (laughs) Nedeljkovic to me was the goalie of your future yeah and I, I, for me, I just didn't get this trade, but I think, per, me personally, I think Eiserman s- stole Nedeljkovic out from under their their hands in Carolina, and uh, yeah, I think it's a great, uh, great starting point for for a team, um, you know, clearly on the rise, and Eiserman's uh, working his magic in Detroit,
0: serving as a great placeholder for when Sebastian Coza comes up as well. Um, so there's that going for him as well. And also just to go back to the Columbus Blue Jackets trade, it was essentially Alexi Haimosalmi for Jake Bean and Haimosalmi was the top defender at this year's U18 tournament. So Carolina is really great at scouting and, um, I have no doubt that that Haimosalmi pick is going to pay dividends for them in the future. So yeah, great, great, pick, great pickup for both sides. Um, Columbus gets more depth. Carolina gets deeper for in their prospect pool for the future. So good, it's, it's basically a win on both sides.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, St. Louis and New York and the New York Rangers also were involved in a trade. Um, the Rangers sending Pavel Buknevich, uh pending restricted free agent, to St. Louis in exchange for Sammy Blay, who's on the second year of a two-year deal that pays him $1.5 million, uh, and the Blues' 2022 second-round pick, so a pick in next year's draft. Um, this one, to me, as well, just a, a minor deal. Um, obviously, Buknevich has had some some glimpses of of uh, exciting play with the Rangers. Um, the same can be said about Sammy Blay who has a little bit of a different uh, different game, I guess. He plays a little bit more physical, um, then, then I would say Buknevich, but uh, the Rangers also pick up the blues uh, second round pick in 2022. So um, it, it'll be interesting to watch how, how this unfolds, but uh, no clear winner when you're talking about this trade.
0: Yeah. Cause St. Louis still has to give Buk- uh, Buknevich a contract and he was on pace for 72 points this season over an 82 game stretch. So that would have been a career high for him. Um, to be honest, to give that much, or to get that little in return for a top six guy who can hack, who can reach that seventy point potential, um, bit of an underpayment. Um, but they both teams do get what they need. New York said that they wanted to get a little bit tougher and get more gritty. They got that with Blaze. St. Louis gets a top six player, still needs a contract, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if they get it done soon. So that way he can't stay long-term there, but they get what both sides got what they wanted in this. It's just the price just seemed very, very low to give up.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like you said, it'll be interesting to see what kind of deal the uh, St. Louis Blues can work out with Buknevich. Um obviously, they're, they're looking to replace the offense that they're going to lose in Tarasenko, eventually probably going to move him uh, mm-hmm. at some point before the puck drop. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that trade unfolds. Maybe we'll look at that tree later down the road midseason, see how that works out. But um, one more smaller deal that we'll get to before we get to three of the, the bigger deals here. Um so, Sam Reinhardt, Buffalo, just really working the phones this week. Um, obviously, Eichel still rumored to be shipped out at some point. But that being said, the Buffalo Sabres did trade Sam Reinhart to the Florida Panthers for their 2022 first-round pick. It is lottery protected, so it will not be uh, um, handed over. It'll be moved to 2023 if it is a top-ten pick. Um, and goalie prospect Devin Levi, who we saw at the World Juniors, just absolutely tear it up for canada um good pick good pickup i think for buffalo uh they already have uh Uko pekka um so how Devin levi kind of fits into that uh we'll, we'll see that said i think he was in the same boat in florida who ha- where they have uh, spencer knight ready to take on the reins for the panthers so um, so, like I said, solid diff, uh, goaltending prospect for the for the Sabers. I think Sam Reinhart and what he brings to the Florida Panthers is much more um, overwhelming for for the Panthers than what uh, what the Sabers got in return. But it'll be interesting to see what they can do with that first round pick.
0: Yeah, and most likely it is going to be a first round pick in 2022. I can't imagine Florida being in the top ten where that if they are there then it's going to go to 2023 I just can't see that given how they made the playoffs, how they got Spencer Knight in that they're just too deep of a team right now but I think Devin Levi um, gives them some reassurance and a possible other option in case Uko Pekalainen doesn't quite work out as they may have hoped because he was, I did not expect uh, Levi to run with the starting job at the World Junior Championships this year and he was lights out good so just another option, again, um, we, we've talked about this, and even Alex mentioned this on Twitter with one of the Maple Leafs picks in the seventh round. You can never have too much goaltending at your disposal, so it's always a good sign to have that depth.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, speaking of depth, um, the Vancouver Canucks made a big trade uh, this weekend and takes kind of one of the players that Maple Leafs fans were hoping to grab – off the table. Um, Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland are both headed to Vancouver, um, thanks to the Arizo- Arizona Coyotes, who acquired the number nine pick in 2021 and forwards Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle, and Antoine Roussel. So, safe to say, the Arizona Coyotes are—I oh, mean, all their players are going to be protected with a little bit of a uh, little bit of grit and grind in the lineup. But they also acquired the ninth, uh, the ninth pick, and ate up some salary to ship out Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland. So Connor Garland off the table for the Maple Leafs. What is your take on this deal?
0: Yeah, I can't say that I'm too happy about that. I was kind of mad knowing that Garland was part of the deal because I really wanted him. He would have been a good fit on the Maple Leafs, and you know Vancouver wanted OEL too, so that's a win for them in that regard. Gave up a ton of cap space to free it up, to make signings to their free, uh, restricted free agents. So they lost Rousseau, Beagle, and Erickson. um, Gave up Dylan Genther in the process. Um, That's going to be pretty big down the road because he's going to be a very, very great power forward in the future, given his ability to score and find the net in many different ways. Um, The only downside of this is OEL's contract. 12% of it was retained, but that 12% of his $8 million only comes to $900,000 being retained. That is a big, big contract to take on for Vancouver, considering the fact that he has significantly declined his production over the past few years. And granted, he was on a pretty bad Arizona team defensively over the past few seasons, but still, 900,000 out of 8.25, that's really not enough. Um, the hope is that Ekman Larson can get back to the production that he had in the past, where he was a perennial. You know, he hit 50 point, 55 points in 2015 16, but if he could get to that 40, 50 point mark. That's ideal, but his defensive game is still a bit of an issue, and the Vancouver Canucks struggled defensively this year as well. So big gamble with OEL, yeah, but Connor Garland is going to fit right into that top six with Vancouver, given how young and deep their top six forward unit is. Yeah, no,
1: I, I like it for Vancouver. I do think it's a big contract to take on, but they do move a lot of salary in the three players that they moved as well. I also want to note that, I mean, Dylan Gunther falling in ninth overall is just insanity. In my opinion,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I had him ranked fourth overall in my final rankings. Um, I, I think honestly, it was shocking that he fell as far as he did, but I think it's a great pickup for Arizona. Um, kind of can set them on the right track, hopefully, and, and see this, this team become successful again. Uh, I do think they're on the road to, to finding some success. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think OEL. It'll be interesting to see what he does in Vancouver. I think with Thatcher Demko there, there's a little bit more stability in net. I think um, you know up front the Vancouver Canucks are better than what he saw in in uh, in uh, Arizona. So I think that uh, definitely opens the door to a little bit more success for him as well. Um, as for Connor Garland, again, adding a little bit more depth to that to that Vancouver lineup. This could be the Vancouver Canucks that we saw a couple years ago make a make a playoff run. So um, I I personally love the trade for Vancouver, not a huge fan of it for, for the Arizona coyotes. But I mean, as you mentioned, adding a guy like Dylan Gunther, uh, it's going to really change what they do, uh, you know, in the, in the next couple of years. So um, yeah, I I don't mind it for Vancouver, but uh, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out uh, now that they're back in the Western conference.
0: I do think that Genther is going to be the better player than Kent Johnson. So mm-hmm. Genther should have been a top five pick. And and if he didn't, maybe following the six or seven, but definitely the better player over Kent Johnson in my opinion. Yeah,
1: no, absolutely. You it was it like it was just shocking to me. I, I really thought he was gonna be a top five pick. Um I mean, you and I have been watching prospects all season long. We put a lot of work into our final rankings. Uh I'm going to look at mine a little bit later because I think I really, I mean, in all honesty, I think I shit the bed a little bit on some of my picks, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll look at that
0: when still the time is a, right. Still not as bad as a pick as, you know, Ottawa taking Tyler Boucher over Cole Sillinger, Coronado, Jesper Wahlstad, Fabian Lizelle, So
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's <laughs> going on there. It must be the, the Pierre Maguire effect.
0: I don't know. Oh, man, that that was that was a crazy pick. And I honestly, to, I mean, if people had him later in the first round, great. But to have him selected over Chaz Lucius, nah, that that to me and him going to 18th, that's a big steal for Winnipeg right there.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just glad that there's no uh, no Canadian division again this year because that's that could really hurt. <laughs> Hurt the Leafs down the road if, if uh, all these teams get better and the Leafs don't really do much. So, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, moving forward here, the Buffalo Sabres were involved in another uh, big trade, obviously moving uh, Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, he was traded to the Philadelphia Flyers. By the Buffalo Sabers for Robert Haig and the 14th overall pick in 2021 and a second round pick in the 2023 draft. So this this trade tree will go on for at least a couple of years, anyways. Um, but yes, the number 14 pick was used by the uh, Buffalo Sabers to pick Isaac Rosen, which I I think is a is a solid pickup by by the Buffalo Sabers. Um, smaller guy, good acceleration, good skating stride. Um, really, really did well in the Swedish uh, Hockey League. Uh, 22 games, I believe he played. He had 12 points. But, yeah, I mean, you you kind of had the feeling that Ristolainen was going out. You knew you knew Reinhardt was going out. Kevin Adams was was busy on the phones and he understands that there needs to be a culture change in Buffalo. And I think, I mean, we've razzed on the Buffalo Sabres enough on this podcast to know that, you know, uh, for them to make some big moves, it, it's, it's a changing of the guard in Buffalo. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how this trade works out, but obviously Ristolainen is going to be a big loss for the Sabres this season, uh, for them to add a guy like Isaac Rosen, um, Robert Haig. I mean, it is what it is with Robert Haig, but, uh, let's call him Bobby Haig. I like that. Bobby Haig. <laughs> um, and then obviously the addition of Rosen to their prospect pool. Uh, Buffalo seems to be on the right track when it comes to drafting the right way.
0: I really love their, uh, well, obviously Owen Power, but I love the last three picks. And with the Rosen, a little higher than I had uh, I had in my rankings, but the Prokar Poltopov and Alexander Kisikov moves were really good as well. So that was a great pickup for them, but it for me this is a this was a huge win for the Sabres to get that extra first-rounder and then the second in return for a defenseman who really has struggled with the Sabres. And again the again the Sabres have struggled quite a bit in the past. But Risselinov himself has been on a major decline for the last few years, especially defensively. Um you can notice it every single time he's on the ice that just because he's a big-body defenseman, it doesn't necessarily work out in his favor. So he has a good point shot, but the results are still ineffective based on his offensive out impact and defensive impact. And there's a Twitter account uh, that goes by the name of JFreshHockey, and he posts those charts that shows the impact of even strength, offense and defense. And he basically wrote, I mean, his wins above replacement war percentage is only 3%. And he said, uh, Ristolainen is a big defenseman who notoriously has put up absolutely horrible results at both ends of the ice consistently throughout his entire career. And it is pretty bad. And I know the flyers got Ellis and they lost Shane Gosses bear, but to, to get that defensive depth in the form of Ristolainen, I don't think is the answer for them. I think they probably would have been... I know Ristolainen is a right-handed shot, and Shane Bear, I believe, was a left-handed one. So, I still don't think that was the right move for the Flyers. I just think it's a big decrease of what or not decrease, a decline of what they initially had before on defense. If you want to shake some moves up up front, I get that, but their their defense was still pretty decent.
1: So what you're saying is the Flyers are still going to be bad?
0: Uh, aside from that top pairing of Provorov and Ellis, yeah, defensively, I think that's going to be a bit of a concern for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, um, it, it it'll be interesting. Um, I I do think like Philly Philly made some interesting moves. Um, obviously, um, you know Nolan Patrick's out. We talked about that last week in the mm-hmm. in the big three player deal. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think. You know, they also – I we didn't mention this one, but Jacob Borchek for Cam Atkinson straight up with the Blue Jackets. That was another another move by them, uh, bringing a guy like Cam Atkinson. Um, so I think we're going to see a different Philly team um, at, at this season. I don't think Ristolainen was what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. I think, honestly, they traded Gossespierre for – they 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 traded Gossesbier and brought in and I think very similar players in in a sense. And I mean, for me, I just don't think it was the right move. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, we 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 can speculate all we want about how these trades are going to work out. At the end of the day, um, it, maybe they see something differently than we do, but. Yeah, I, I, for me, it just wasn't the right move for the Philadelphia Flyers. I think it was a great move by the Buffalo Sabres in in kind of continuing with the rebuild, I want to say. Um, like I said, I think Isaac Rosen's great pickup for them. Uh, Robert Haig, I mean, it is what it is, but uh, I think the, the, the 14th overall pick is really what Buffalo was looking for, and I think Kevin Adams is doing his best – uh, you know, obviously in his first full season with the with the GM role. So
0: mm-hmm. uh, work, work those phones, Kevin, work those phones. <laughs> I just want to throw this out there. I know, I, again, I know we have gone to a point where, where we are beyond plus minus as a legitimate hockey stat, but looking at his NHL numbers throughout his entire career, he has never been a plus player minus 163 for his career, and even looking at 2010-11 and 2011-12 with TPS in in, uh, minus 21, and this is when he was, you know, still a younger player at the U-17 and U-18 level. Again, I know plus, plus minus is a useless stat, but, man, it's hard not to notice that minus 163. Dash, 163. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, I still love plus-minus. I, I You know, I still use it in my fantasy leagues all the time. I mean, we can't use Corsi yet, so might as well. I think they're
0: trying to integrate that in now.
1: Yeah, I, I might still, you know what, I, I might still stick to the plus-minus just because it is, you know, it is what it is. But
0: I might experiment with that next season.
1: There you go, there you go. Count, count me out of your league. Oh, I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, but no, it, it it is hard to ignore something like that a dash one sixty three, um, a career number. Obviously, part of some bad teams in Buffalo,
0: Absolutely. and it
1: does it it does take its toll. I mean, you look at the Edmonton Oilers for years. They had Taylor Hall, they had Nuge, they had Eberle, and and for those years, those guys were, you know, looked upon as yeah, they their offensive talents but defensively they just don't know how to handle things right but Mm -hmm. um it took them going to winning cultures I mean Everly obviously with the Islanders now with the Kraken um you talk about Hall and and his journey with uh with with the success he had in New Jersey and and what he was able to bring to the Boston lineup um Nuge still still doing Nuge in in Edmonton (laughs) Mm -hmm. um I think that does play into it a little bit. That being said, your your job as a defenseman is to keep the puck out of your net. And if you're minus if 163 for your career, uh, I mean, take it for what it is. But it's not
0: a number you want to see. No, definitely. Definitely. And again, been on some Buffalo Sabres, haven't been great. For the over the past few seasons, but given the way that you see him on the ice and the way of his positioning, his decision-making and everything, it does kind of reflect that plus-minus, in a sense.
1: Yeah, I know, absolutely. Um, and since we're talking about players that were rumored to be, you know, possibly coming to Toronto, um, Seth Jones... Is now a Chicago Blackhawk, and it kind of falls in line with our theme of the week, the brothers. Um, Caleb Jones also became a Chicago Blackhawk, but the Seth Jones is 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 a major deal, major deal. As we see, uh, two first rounds, a second rounder, and Adam Boakfist are headed to the Blue Jackets for Seth Jones and uh, 32nd overall pick in 2021 and a 6th in 2021. Um, The Jones deal, obviously, you mentioned it. He signed a huge ticket after that, uh, after he was traded, uh, locked him up long-term in Chicago. Is this part of the Chicago rebuild, or is Chicago trying to find a way out of rebuilding?
0: I honestly, they're going to be rebuilding for a long time after this deal. I I, I did not think that there could be possibly a worse deal than the Linen deal, but I don't, I mean, I just don't see this as any upside for Chicago. I mean, first off, the price was just awful. The two firsts in 2021 and 2022, to be honest, I think 2022 is going to be a year where they – probably should have held on to that pick because they might be in a lottery situation and they may lose out on a really, really great player um, next season. Um, And not only that, Seth Jones is going from one struggling defensive team to another team that struggled and they're well past their glory days with the uh, three Stanley Cups that they've had in the past since 2010. And you give up a really great puck moving defenseman in Adam Bofus. To me, he was going to be a guy that was going to be a cornerstone piece for their blue line in the future. I again, similar to um and the Flyers, I think this is a big downgrade for the Blackhawks. And uh, I they're not going to get the Seth Jones that you know had high hopes or had that you know great two way ability. That he had in 2017, 18. Um, it's it's really difficult to see that happen. I don't see any upside whatsoever. And going back to uh, Jay Fresh Hockey, he did a really great in-depth analysis on that. And the fact that Seth Jones is bad on like, you know, blue line uh, defensive plays, breaking up those entries. Um, dump-ins and puck retrievals, he really hasn't done a great job on that. And yeah, that was one of the main talking points in uh, Jay Fresh's article on his Substack. I really highly recommend that you go read that article and his other content as well. But yeah, it, it's I, I, again, I just don't see any plus that come from this maybe it can work out and maybe we're just overanalyzing it. Maybe he can get to form and he just needed to change the scenery out of Columbus as a lot of players do. And he probably can't get back to that point where, you know, he did have an impact both offensively and defensively, but over the last three years, it's just been a big decline for Jones.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I completely agree with you. Um, I don't think he's, he's done. I just think this is such a big deal. And, and, I believe the cap, it was 9.5 million. You mentioned, uh, yeah. it's, it's a lot of money to tie up when you already have Kane, you already have Taves. Um, and you really don't have the, you have to bring cat as well. You, you don't have the team that's going to really contend. And that's why I was a little shocked that, you know, Seth Jones was willing to sign that, that big of a ticket with a team that, I mean, the future is good, but, it, I wouldn't say it's great. Stan- it's not. Yeah, it's not great. It's not Stanley cup. Good. Um, so for me, it was just a little weird, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And like I said, he's, he's there with his brother and maybe that, that has a little bit of pull. We saw obviously Colorado drafted, um, Kael McCarr's brother. We saw the, the Blackhawks draft Colton doc, uh, Kirby's brother. Um, so, I mean, it's very – it's nice for him to be able to play with his brother Caleb. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think they have the system that's ready to succeed yet. And I think we're going to see some frustration out of Seth Jones in the early years of this contract.
0: Yeah, and – looking at the contract it's going to take up 11.66 percent of the cap and that's already taken up 12.9 for both Kane and Taze for two more years after that well yeah for this season and next season and I made a comment on Twitter like everyone is complaining about the Maple Leafs and their contract situation how all that money is allocated to Marner Tavares and uh, Matthews to be honest I'd rather have any of those three players, even Marner at ten point five or ten point eight million than Seth Jones at nine point five, because you know what you're getting with him. You know what they where they're already at, given how big of a production. granted that their is, and he's a defenseman. I, you just don't see that consistency with Jones toward that big of a commitment.
1: But on top of all that, those those contracts were signed when there was no COVID. There was an expectation that the cap yes. was going to continue to mm-hmm. grow. And Definitely. that's what people leave out when they talk about how maybe crippling these contracts can be at times for the Leafs, is that they forget that this was at a different time. This was yeah. signed prior pandemic. Um, the expected
0: to go up to 85% before exactly. the pandemic.
1: Exactly um but yeah i mean like i said with all these deals we'll see obviously we'll revisit this one at some point down the road um and and see how it all worked out for the chicago blackhawks look my dad's a chicago fan Mm -hmm. i i I, it's second nature to have a little bit of love obviously they have one of the best jerseys in all of hockey um so there's a little love there for chicago but uh i i think this was the wrong move for the blackhawks um Obviously, they've got a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, we won't get into that this episode,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because we have another horrible, horrible storyline yeah. to get into. And I know, I know, we're drawing out the leaf talk. I, I, I need to talk about this next story real quick here. No, uh, we didn't. With the thirty-first pick in the NHL in the twenty twenty-one NHL draft, the Montreal Canadiens selected Logan Mayou. Mayu, right now, is a member of the London Knights, a team that I love to cover here in London, um, a team that has produced NHL star after NHL star after NHL star. Now, for those of you that have been living under rock for the last couple of weeks, Logan Mayu was, um, I guess, they, technically, he was fined in Sweden uh, for sharing photos of a consensual partner. Uh, with teammates Um, she obviously got wind of it and uh, anyways we discussed this on the last episode but um, shared those photos with his teammates and and she uh, she, obviously he didn't have the consent to do that Um, anyways he he renounced himself from the NHL draft still Montreal decided to take him with a 31st overall selection. There was a lot of teams that took him off their draft board. I took him out of my final rankings. I know you and Matt also mentioned that you were, you took knowing what you know, you take him out of your final rankings as Mm well. That said Montreal found a way to make headlines from going from Stanley cup contender to absolute classless shit stain of a, of a, of a franchise when you make that kind of selection in the first round now, I wasn't naive enough to believe that Logan mayu was not going to be picked at all. Look, he's a talented, skilled player who has first round talent. That said, there is a point where we have to understand that what he what what he did was it's not a mistake. What he did was not a mistake, no. It was a bad decision. It was a very, very bad decision. And I got into it on Twitter a little bit today uh, with, look, the, the the guy that I got into didn't even comment on something I said. He commented on something else and, and was saying that, you know, he deserves to, to to live out his dream and blah, 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 blah. My comment back was if you had a daughter and some guy, not even an athlete, some guy, Decide to share photos of your daughter with his friends, his buddies. How would that make you feel? It was a simple question. I, I shared my opinion. I, I said that his this 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 Twitter user's comment was just simply bad. It was a bad take. Um and I guess, I guess, Peter, I'm just shocked at the at the Montreal Canadiens and Mark Van. and we saw it in Trevor Timmons, assistant GM uh, of mm-hmm. the Montreal Canadiens. Trevor Timmons was asked about the pick later on, following the draft, and in his press conference, he hesitated for, I want to say, a solid 35, 40 seconds, and the facial expressions you could see, there was frustration, there was uncertainty um, surrounding the Mayu pick and now that there are some some reports surfacing that he was over, he did he did not want to make that Mayu pick, and Mark Bergerman decided to to overrule him. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but yeah. as we say on this podcast all the time, where there's smoke, there is fire.
0: I did see that,
1: um, but he was the one is was the one answering the questions, and he, there was a long hesitation, and my. I guess my thing is, at what point do we draw the line? Um, I'm not saying that Mayu never deserved an opportunity. I'm not saying he didn't deserve a second chance later down the road, maybe in a year. Maybe he's done some counseling. Maybe he's reconciled with with, with the woman involved but this is no longer about just Logan Mayu. This is about the woman involved. This is about the fact that he changed her life forever and now he's being celebrated as the 31st overall pick all because he plays hockey.
0: Yeah. Uh like you, I was in absolute shock and awe at that selection. Like I my jaw dropped and I'm like please tell me that did not just happen. And given the severity of the situation and the impact that it had on the victim and Mayu renouncing himself as part of the draft, the frustrating part is they still picked him. I mean, what was going through, I I don't know, like if it was Bergevin, the Scouts, whatever, who, to be honest, everyone is to be blamed in this situation right now with making that pick. Do they not have any morals? Do they not have any standards or compassion at all for the person or the woman that was victimized throughout this whole entire thing? Do they not have children? My point? Yeah, exactly. And like you said, what if this was your daughter or what if this like, it, it, I, I just can't fathom that with that. Even with the the whole entire thing unfolding, even if you apologize, like you said, all is forgiven. He's going to be celebrated. We're going to just going to move on. That's not how it is anymore. That's not how this sh- how things should unfold. It's it's just an absolute joke right now. And you mentioned Timmons and the fact that it took him twenty one, I mean twenty one, twenty five, thirty seconds, whatever, to say a word, and then have to ask. Can you clarify on the question, um, this just shows that this organization can't justify what they did, whether he was involved in the selection or not? I, again, we don't know. It, it's it's I saw that on Twitter as well. as it's, it's it's just they should not have ignored the severity of this whole entire situation. The fact that they selected him, they just brushed it off and said oh well he apologized it's all good he feels very sincere those are just words he needs to sh- he needs to take action he needs to show that he's made progress and like you said he needs to show that aspect reconcile with the the victim that he caused all this harm with but what's getting to me is um it was Stu Cowan from the Montreal Gazette. He wrote an article about the situation and he wrote giving Mayu a second chance after a teenage mistake at even one this big or sorry, let me start from the beginning. They must have known the heat they would get, they would take for drafting Mayu but didn't seem to care. Giving Mayu a second chance after a teenage mistake even one this big is okay, but it didn't have to be now especially when he had asked for some time timmons went on this for uh just after that in the article till timmons said well he might have been drafted if we didn't draft him somebody else might have drafted him the pick after or whatever we also heard rumors out there it was on social media too that teams were lining up in the second round i don't give a rat's ass if there was like a like every other team in the league was doing that, granted that there were a number of teams that had him on the do-not-draft list. If you had any self-respect or morals, like I said before, any standards, who cares? I wouldn't have taken him. I wouldn't have taken him in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or sixth. Just because of the whole entire situation and the fact that it showed a complete lack of maturity on his end, and it was just absolutely... Like, Again, I'm I'm probably losing my train of thought right now because this is just so frustrating right now. But to base that as your reasoning, to select Mayu and everything that transpired, that is okay to say that, oh, other teams are lining up. That is the worst excuse I've ever heard. Again, show some show some morals. So show some compassion. Show that you can draw a line that we're not going to tolerate this. And especially an organization like the Montreal Canadiens, as historic as it is. I'm not trying to draw like bring the history in, but you know, this is an original six franchise. I mean, I I. I you would think that they would have some decorum and say that, you know what, we have standards that need to be lived by. We're not going to tolerate this kind of act. What happens? They draft him. It's just so frustrating right now. And to me, the fact that they kind of brush it off with that comment, saying that, oh, other teams are lining up, it shows that they really do not care. And that, to me, they're part of the problem. And And we talked about hockey culture and the change that needs to happen this is something that needs to change because it's it's really sickening
1: yeah no i did i did hear some speculation that teams were looking at him in the second round and and i mean I, like i said i'm not naive to think that he wasn't going to go in the 2021 draft a, mm-hmm. at the end of the day he can't actually renounce himself as as a as a possible draft pick in the draft anybody who's eligible is eligible teams are going to do what they want to do but I do think it was a scapegoat I do think saying that you know teams were lining up for him in the second round was a scapegoat so you know what if teams were lining up for him then let those teams draft him what you've done as a franchise I mean I, I, I talked to a, a close friend of mine who was a Montreal is a Montreal fan and, and just kind of asked his opinion on the Logan mayo pick and he was disgusted. Mm-hmm. He was absolutely sickened. He 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 said when when they drafted him, all he could say was like he he turned it off. He didn't go on Twitter. He he didn't want to be involved in the conversation because he was just blown away that his team that he is you know given everything to would would do something so sickening. Um, yeah, and again, I'm not sitting here saying that Logan Mayu did not deserve a second chance at some point. I'm thinking more you you know, 2022 draft or sign him as a free agent after a year yeah. where he's done some counseling, he's gone through, he's understood, he's shown the legitimate remorse that that should be displayed after such a such a despicable act. Yeah. Um, you know, he is young and he is going to make mistakes and he is going to make poor decisions and he is going to do things that we're going to sit here and judge and call stupid. He's in the public eye. That's not the question. The question is, is is, does he deserve to be celebrated when somebody who, you know, whose life is affected right now is sitting Mm -hmm. at home watching him be celebrated because he's an athlete? And where where do we put athletes above everybody else? And I think that's the conversation that needs to be have be had. Sorry. Not just is this hockey culture, but is this sport culture? Is this celebrity culture? Is this when when do we draw the line when do we say you know what you fucked up you fucked up and you deserve to sit this one out and really it it goes back to hey your kids you're being sent to your room you did something wrong logan mayu needs to be sent to his room he needs to Mm -hmm. sit down he needs to think about what happened he needs to understand what happened he needs to understand the impact that has had on the people involved not just the girl not just the woman involved, yeah, but her family, her friends, how it's gonna impact her life, her trust for others. Um, this is a this is a bigger issue than just you know, hey, I, I apologize. I made a mistake. Maybe I'll sit this year out. yeah, that's not what it is. It's not that's not what it's about. And you know, at what point if this it this could have just been the start to, you know, going on to be a, you know, maybe a Jake Vertanen. Uh mm-hmm. again, somebody else, you know, we've talked about, and he was, he was placed on unconditional waivers today by the Canucks. Uh, you know, he's going to be bought out. Um, he made a poor decision. He made a very, very bad decision and it impacted many other people. And at that point, your dream is out the window at this, you know, for me, for me, Everything Montreal did after that 31st pick, I just didn't give a shit about. Yeah. I I think they they really blew their draft up by taking Logan Mayu with the 31st pick.
0: Yeah, like you said, um, it doesn't matter that they got a great player in Oliver Kapanen and some really great uh, players afterwards. This draft is going to be highlighted by that one pick alone. And this is just my opinion. I really thought that there were better options to take over Logan Mayu. At, at that spot um, initially I had him as like a third or fourth rounder I didn't even consider him as a first so the fact that they just thought that oh other teams are lining up we're going to take him right now because you wanted to even ever, after everything that transpired it's it's disgusting I mean I would like I I get I mean he's a right handed D I'm pretty sure they want to try and like replace a Shea, we- Shea Weber down the line but you know what? I'm just taking a player who who is not going to have so much baggage on top of everything. They could have gone with, if they wanted a dress defense, they could have gone with um, Arlen Zellweger. They could have gone with Daniel Chaika, even though they're left handed shots. They could have gone with Alexei Haimel-Salmi. They could have gone with Artem Grushnikov. They could have gone with Vincent I- Iorio, Evan Naus. Um... I, to me, all those players are better than Mayu, and they couldn't find another option. That to me is it, it. That to me is concerning.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. And you know, I'd love to. I'd love to continue talking about this for an hour because I know. I know. Uh, you know. I share I share my opinions very strongly on Twitter sometimes. Mm. So I know that this conversation could go on forever. But I just um, want to
0: interject for one quick moment. I'm probably going to move on right now, but um, it wouldn't be reminisced to actually talk about something positive in the league right now. Um, Nashville Predators prospect um, Luke Procope. He was drafted by the Nashville Predators, I believe, in the third round in 20 round. Yeah third round, came out as the first player uh, I believe the first active player under NHL contract to come out publicly as gay and we I mean I, I the messages for that for him were coming out, They were out, so much out showing of support for him and to be honest I, I expressed my gratitude to him, I congratulated him and saying that you know what we're so happy for the bravery that you're showing right now, um, I mean, this is the, this is the direction we want to see the NHL. This is the moments; these are the kind of players. This is the kind of mentality we should be going towards, and not focusing on all these like negative stories because it's just so overwhelming right now at this point. But Luke Prokope again, c- like congratulations we're so happy that you know you are who you are continue to do that and you have our full support here
1: absolutely and and uh, you know we talk a lot about hockey culture and you know it'll be the 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 messages that he received I mean I don't know if you saw the Matt Duchesne uh, tweet that he put out um, obviously uh, a guy who plays for Nashville and, and uh, you know what he was able to to kind of say as well and um that's the kind of stuff that you want to see that's the doors we want to see open we want we want players to feel comfortable in their own shoes comfortable in their own bodies knowing that they're not going to be judged and criticized and crucified for for being themselves and what luke what luke did is just you know it, it really is incredible um he's an incredible person just reading some of the tweets, some of the responses he's getting, um, you know, obviously we support him here. Um, and, and I would love to have him on at some point to talk about the mentality mm-hmm. that he has going into a, a decision like that. But the, the, the thing I took away from that is that I hope I really do. I really hope that at some point A player coming out is not a story
0: yes and
1: Mm -hmm. i think it's it's still a long ways away but i think with players like luke coming out and saying what they said and, and sharing their story i think we are slowly getting to where we need to be and that's why i loved it so much is that i think you know this is this is an opportunity this is an opportunity to open that door and allow any other players feeling the same way to 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 really have a voice? And
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think it's great. I think it's great. Hockey's for everyone. Hockey's for everyone.
0: And like you said, let's hope that it gets to a point where you know it's not someone just ha- like always having to come out with these stories and everything like that. It's just accepting them for who they are in the moment, at that at that precise moment. And yeah, again, Luke, congratulations. Again, you have our full support here at the sticks in the six podcast.
1: Absolutely. And before we jump over to Maple Leafs talk, I want to throw it over to uh, an an incredible guest, um, somebody that, uh, you know, we, we love that we got on the podcast, obviously draft week, uh, lots to talk about Uh, Tony Ferrari. Let's send it over to him right
0: now. Folks. We are happy to have our next guest with us to go deeper into the draft talk today. He was the former head scout and managing editor at Dauber Prospects, and his Twitter bio has it listed as the favorite ball draft analyst. I know he's mine. Tony Ferraris joining us today. Tony, thank you so much for joining us, man. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm good. We're doing a late night recording. This is fun. Man. Let's get weird.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is the first time we've done something like this in quite some time so you are the first one to join on like a late night recording of this session oh it's gonna be beautiful (laughs) um so let's just get right into it um 2021 NHL draft has passed there was a lot to talk about and certainly not short of storylines I just wanted to get your initial thoughts of this draft compared to what it was in 2020. It was a
2: weird one it really was like this entire draft process was weird because i mean the pandemic aside even like there there was the entire pandemic factor which forced everything on video for the most part and in most of the world and i mean the 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 ohl never even got playing so it it was a weird year for evaluating prospects in general but even even still with with the fact that there was no surefire number one even with Owen power kind of securing the favorite and everyone kind of defaulting to him it really did feel like there were so many players that could go number one at the, at the end of the day and it, it was a wide open draft like I, I think you look at this draft and any of the first nine players could realistically be the best player in this draft and I don't think anyone's really gonna be too shocked with that and I think you even have guys lower in, lower in the first round like yes for and even maybe a Fabian Leeelle who, Yeah, I think there's a chance that they could be the best player in this draft. It's going to be an interesting one to look back on in 10, 15 years and go, oh, wow, like the player at 37 was the best player in the draft. And and no one really knew because this entire draft was kind
0: of just a weird one. It really was weird to see names like Lizelle and Wallstead fall. Um, How, in terms of like scouting and watching all these, like how much of a difficult task was it for you and everyone else over at Dauber?
2: It was, it was for us it wasn't that bad i'll be honest like i i, I want to say it was difficult but it really wasn't we were so used to being video scouting and doing everything on video especially because most of us can't travel to sweden and, and travel to, to western canada or wherever else we're not located so most of our scouting in person is done around where we're at so for myself that's in windsor ontario which is right near michigan i get a lot of ohl action i get a lot of ushl action but the problem with this year was you're not going over the border unless you're completely <laughs> essential. And uh, I, I couldn't convince them to let me over saying, I just want to watch some hockey guys. So it was, it was completely video this year, which was a ton of fun because you, you were forced to find advantages to, to, to kind of get a leg up. And one of the things that I felt was, was an advantage was the fact that, yeah, maybe we're not able to go to these games live, but when you think about it to go to a game in Flint, Michigan, I'm usually driving about 45 minutes from, from my apartment then I'm driving 45 minutes home. That's an hour and a half plus the three hours at the game with the intermissions and all that stuff in that four and a half hours, five hours, I could realistically watch six, seven games using Instat or whatever video program anyone's using, because I can go back and watch a few games that I don't need to wait for the commercials. I don't need to wait for the intermissions. I don't need to drive to the game. Like you got to use that time wisely. If you're going to try to adapt to things like this. And I think we were talking to NHL scouts uh, for different teams. And I think, They were pretty blunt about it throughout the season where a lot of them were like video scoutings for the birds and stuff. So I think we're going to look back on this draft and go, okay, this team just didn't give a shit at the draft this year because they just didn't scout because – they were afraid of video scouting or whatever, or we're going to look at teams and go, Oh, wow. Like they nailed this draft and they got five solid prospects because they actually embraced video scouting the way they should have. And everyone else kind of didn't. And, and they let guys fall And this team was smart enough to pick them up. So it's going to be interesting to see in 15 years, 10, 10 years, even just kind of where this
1: draft stacking out. Yeah. You mentioned that the time that goes into prospecting. And I mean, it realistically, I think, prospect analysts like folks like yourself and and the folks over at Dauber and then Peter, myself over at the hockey writers. um, We are maybe the unsung heroes sometimes when it comes to uh, the draft rankings that are are posted online. And I mean, I want to go back way back to the beginning. What, what got you started in prospecting originally?
2: For me, it was just, I, I love the draft. I've always loved the draft because for me, it's, it's this weird sense of hope. Every team, no matter whether you're t- taking Tyler Boucher at 10th ten o- overall or you're taking Owen Power first overall or whatever pick you're making, you you have hope for that player. I think one of the, the coolest things so far this year, and I think it's, it was a fun thing last year, is the-, the Ottawa Senators fan base just embracing whoever the hell they pick. Whether it be Tyler Clevin or Tyler Boucher or whoever it, be- it-, it ends up being, the-, the Senators fan base is just completely gone this is our guy and we're going to protect him with our life. And and you say something bad about these guys on Twitter and the, the entire Senators fan base comes after you. And I, I think that's hilarious. Like, cause I, I'm not a tally Bruchet fan. Like I, I'm not going to lie and say that it was a good pick at tenth <laughs> overall. Cause it wasn't like, I'm just being honest, but at the same time, seeing these the senators accounts, posting highlights and posting little clips of, of, a, a body check that he makes and stuff, and and just hyping this kid up, I love it. Like that's that's why I do prospects because even the guy that doesn't make sense kind of gives you hope.
0: Yeah, you just mentioned the Tyler Boucher pick that really threw me off, considering the fact that you know Lazelle, has Chaz Lucius was available, but then you have teams like the Dallas Stars, the Carolina Hurricanes that did their homework, and with the Dallas Stars, they took Wyatt Johnson. Logan Stancoven, and Martino and Jack Barr in the fifth round. Would you say that Dallas came out as one of the top winners in this draft?
2: Yeah, I would. I, I think Dallas has been the team I've, I've been hyping a lot because I haven't heard their name mentioned a lot. And I, th- I think that is because Wyatt Johnston was their first round pick. And I think a lot of people are like, ah, really? Like, uh, okay, that's fine, I guess. But th- the way I look at that draft class is I go, if you if you drafted Wyatt Johnston in the second round and you took Logan Stancoven at 23rd overall, I don't think anyone's complaining about that draft class. I think everyone's going, Oh wow. Look at how good Dallas did. So as a draft class as a whole, Jack Barr was one of my favorite players. Wyatt Johnson, I thought was really underrated. Ayrton Martino was my boy all year. Like I was super high on him. Like just honestly, I was probably too high on him. I had him at 18th on my board and and I don't think anyone really had him much higher than like 27, 28. And, I was just a huge fan of this kid. So getting all of that, that talent, that upside, I think Dallas did a really good job. I think Carolina did a great job of trading down and maximizing the value. And I think a team like Columbus kind of just won the weekend with everything they were able to do at the draft and in surrounding the draft with the trades and everything too. So I think those three teams all just crushed at the draft this weekend.
1: I had uh, William Eklund as my number one pick, obviously dropped to number seven. Um, what was, at the first round, what was your biggest maybe steal? I'm going to say steal in the first round there.
2: Uh, yes, for Wallstead at 20. Like, Fabian Sell is my guy. I love that kid. Um, there There's attitude issues that people claim, and I've talked to him a few times this season, and I, I think the attitude issues are completely overblown and, and misconstrued for confidence. And it, it's one of those things where I think Fabian Sell is going to be a really good player. But yes, for Wallstead falling to 20. To Minnesota, I, being the second goalie taken, I I think Minnesota's laughing. I think yes for I have said it all year. He's the top player in this draft. Um the only reason he wasn't number 1 on my board is because even I'm a coward a little bit, so I had him at number 3 or 4 all year. Um but th- this guy is the one guy I think could change the franchise in this draft. I think Owen Power is great. I think he's going to be fun. He's going to be a good solid number two number three defenseman Matthew Beneers I I love the kid I think he's going to be a captain of the Seattle Kraken soon I think he's going to be the face of that franchise moving forward like you look at throughout this draft and I think there's a lot of really good players and and, but I don't know if there's any franchise changer And I think Jesper Walstead's the one guy that can do that
0: yeah, I got on the Fabian Lizzo train all because of you, Tony, watching all the clips and everything like that. So thank you for getting me on board with that. But um, seeing as I mean, we are- I good thing
2: he was just drafted by Boston. I mean, a team we all love so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that That's more salt in the wound right there. Um, given that we are a Maple Leaf podcast, I want to dive into the prospects that the Maple Leafs had. Granted, it was only three picks, but I want to talk about Matthew Nyes. Six two two ten, good. Season with Tri-City, but recently at the World Junior Summer Showcase, he was a major standout. And obviously, Ronnie Hirviden and Topi Niemela are a part of that tournament as well. But Matthew Nice is really sticking out for me right now. What is your take on him?
2: Matthew Nice is an interesting player because the first half of the season was kind of meh. It, it was very, like, underwhelming. There wasn't a whole lot going on. He had some points, but it was kind of like, yeah, he's just a bigger kid at junior hockey playing, playing well. But then the second half of the season, he really turned it on. He had a really good second half. I thought he he picked up his pace, kind of improved his his play with the puck, and and that's when it started to take over. He became more assertive. He's a guy that I think thrives protecting the puck, being a a kind of a big body along the boards, working the cycles. And and he's a guy that I don't think the Leafs really have in their system. So I think it's an interesting pick as a fit-wise. But I think you you look at a lot of these guys around and you, you go, well, maybe he wasn't the best value there. But at the same time, I don't really see a whole lot of players. You look at a Ryder Korczak, and Ayrton Martino, a Simone Robertson, and you're like, okay, how much how much extra value are you getting from those guys than a guy like Tristan or, or like Matthew Knies? who does have that size and and skill. And and I I think he does have some sneaky skill that people don't see. Like some of the moves he makes off the cycle or some of the like smaller plays that that you don't necessarily think of as as high skill plays are stuff that he's able to do because he is a a bigger guy with a a little bit more reach and he's able to kind of bounce the puck off the boards and collect the puck again and different little tricks to kind of get through a cycle and whatnot. I think he's a really interesting player for the Leafs prospect pool because as I mentioned, they don't really have a guy like that, that kind of brings that skill with the size necessarily.
1: Jump right to the next pick. I mean, Ty Voigt, um, another, another pick that uh, you know, some, some criticized and, and some, you know, celebrated when the Leafs made that pick.
2: Whoever criticizes it's a coward. I love this kid. This kid's like, <laughs> Oh, th- I this kid's the best. I, I wanted to, I wanted someone to draft him much higher than this One fifty three, I think is a steal for Ty Voigt. Um, the biggest knock on this kid is that he was 5'8 in his last time he was on the ice for the Sernia Sting. And I mean, there, there's been reports that he's six foot. I think Elite Prospects now has him listed at 5'11. So there's been growth there, which is a nice nice thing to see. I think Ty Voigt's a guy that brings a ton of energy, a ton of skill. Um, th- this guy's a, a little bit of a buzzsaw. I don't want to say Zach Hyman, uh, knowing that we just lost Zach Hyman as Leafs fans, but he, he's a guy that plays with that level of energy. I don't think he's, he's, he's good physically and not necessarily a guy that's going to be as heavy on the forecheck but he's gonna be buzzy he's gonna be a guy that gets in on the forecheck and annoys the the, the defenseman he's gonna be a guy that gets in there with a stick and kind of pops the puck free and maybe he doesn't necessarily make the big the 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 huge play that goes in the highlight reel but he's the one that leads to that play a lot of the times and then when he has the puck on his stick in the offensive zone this isn't a kid who's shy in the middle he likes to get to the middle of the ice and attack the center center lane so this is a guy that I, I think when he was a smaller player, he did all of the things that you want from a smaller player. You look at a guy like Logan Stankoven, and you look at a guy like in the NHL, Braden Point, who just signed a big deal. This the, Those are the things that Ty Voigt does. He gets to the middle. He attacks the play. He's not shy or intimidated despite being smaller. And like I said, the fact that he's grown this year, even if it's 5'10", 5'11", that's a big deal because now he, he has some of that size that you're looking at for. And he has some of that ability to kind of keep up strength-wise, and one of the quotes from him after the draft was, yeah, like my size has always been an issue, but I've spent two years basically in the gym, and I've been working hard, so if that's the case, I'm excited to see what this kid brings to the ice the next time he plays.
0: I don't know if you're able to give much on the next player, but Vyacheslav Peksa, um, not much was was known about him only the fact that he is teammates with uh arta Aktyamov, who is a fellow maple leaf draft pick um any insight into his game and what maple leaf fans can expect uh sick name that's pretty <laughs> much it like it's, this was a, a goalie too right? yeah
2: yeah exactly i mean he's a goalie and, and there are improvements in goalie scouting and everything but like th- this guy wasn't a guy i even really paid attention to to be completely honest because he wasn't a guy that played a ton he wasn't a guy that was really stand out in, in any sense of the word so and, and you look at some of the players that went after him like even Nikita Kwap who's another goalie German goalie you look and you go okay well maybe they should t- could have took him or there's other guys like Jakar Bardakov and, and Albert Schoberg who I think are a little bit more recognizable names and guys that maybe other teams targeted a little bit better than the Leafs here but I, I think the Leafs are, are very willing to take a chance on goalies. I think every year we kind of see them draft one late and hope for the best. And I think, honestly, a lot of times, if you're not getting yes for Wallstead, if you're not getting, you know, Sebastian thought I, I, that's probably the way to go for goalies. Just draft them late and hope that, that they turn out. because no one else watched uh, Arthur Akhnevov's team when he wasn't playing except for Toronto, apparently. So it, it's <laughs> going to be a really interesting pick in a few years. But realistically, it's a six-round goalie who, let's be honest, I, I don't know what this kid's going to be.
1: There's a lot of talk right now that you know possibly Kirill Kaprizov could be going back to Russia, and obviously in a couple of years now we have Matvey mitchkov who's going to be a high, uh, high pick in in his draft year. Is there a little bit of a fear for teams drafting Russians high in the draft these these days, with with the possibility that they potentially stay home? I, I
2: think the fear is going away, and, and, and that sounds weird because of the Kaprizov situation, because of the. The situation we're going to be coming up with next year and stuff it, it's going to be interesting with mitchkov because we don't generally see them sign these long-term deals all the time and unless they're a really high-end top player like mitchkov like kaprizov you, you don't see them sign extensions with the khl club at 17 18 so it, it's going to be interesting to see kind of guys going forward because a guy like fedor svechkov he's not going to get drafted, or he, he got drafted and, and he's probably not going to have that worry he's not going to be worrying about staying over. Same with Nikita Chibrikov. I think you look at a, a guy like Ivan Maroshenchenko next year, who you're going to be like, okay, is he going to stay over? He's a guy that the Russian program seems to really like. So maybe they do end up signing him to a KHL deal for a couple extra years. But I think unless you're really dealing with those guys that are going to be drafting in the top five, top 10, you're probably fine to draft a Russian because let's be honest, you're, you're going to need them to stay over and develop for a year or two at least anyways. I mean, you look at a guy like uh, ofchinikov who Toronto drafted last year. I I, sure let him play in the KHL for three years I don't care like he needs to develop anyways like it's not going to be a a big thing where you're going to be losing out on this playing time from a prospect like I said unless it's really that top end guy and and, uh, even those guys like outside of Mitchkov I I don't know if they're going to stay over all that long because the the NHL teams are going to need them and and at the end of the day that the a lot of these kids want to play in the NHL whether or not they necessarily want to admit it out loud or, or not because uh, Putin's their best friend and whatnot. So it, it's it's always an interesting aspect, but I do think the worry is kind of going away. As we shift over to
0: 2022, we all know Shane Wright is going to be the consensus possible number one pick. It's looking like that early on. Brad Lambert, Matthew Savoir, other top names. You mentioned Miroslav I uh, probably butchered that name. Sorry about that. But there's also Rucker McGordy. Um, what's one name that you are looking at af- or looking out for that's, you know, sort of flying under the radar for next se- for next year?
2: Well, one guy that I think is flying under the radar a little bit is Lane Hudson and he plays for the national team under national team development program under 18 team for next year um he's a smaller undersized defenseman a lot and and i think he's going to be what a lot of people thought sean barons was this year and i think sean barons was kind of all over the radar and and there were teams people in teams even that had him in the first round and and people in teams that had him in the fourth fifth round and he ended up getting drafted a little later and and honestly for me i i expected him to be drafted later because he is a smaller defenseman who wasn't really dominant at at any point in the game he had a lot of fun offensive flair and and stuff like that but there wasn't really a moment where you're like okay sean barons is here he's taking over whereas with lane hudson i think we've seen that now we've seen that at the under 18s he's a guy that as an underage player there he did take over at times offensively he was able to kind of dictate play and, and make a big difference with his mobility he he needs to work on his straight line skating a little bit i think he he could get a little faster especially being undersized as a defenseman. But the skill the pace the the understanding of passing lanes and how to develop them and, and find them for himself in the offensive zone it was really special to watch i think he's a guy that you're gonna see kind of in a lot of rankings at the in the first round and in the middle of the first round even maybe even higher depending on how his season goes next year and, and then we're gonna go okay he's, he's gonna fall at the draft because he's a 5'9 5'10 5'11 defenseman and, and teams are always gonna be shy about drafting that undersized guy but i think he's going to be one of those guys next year that I'm kind of pumping early on because yeah, I, I think there's a ton of talent there and teams teams need to get overdraft in the undersized guys because every, every year we're seeing these undersized guys come out and, and just break the mold and, and do good things at the NHL level. So for me, that's probably one of the guys that I'm pushing early on.
1: Tony, I'd be remiss. and and the best part about uh podcast is you can kind of say more of what you uh, you're feeling. So you're Mark Bergevin Thirty-first pick in the first round. Who are you taking? Anyone else?
2: Like literally. And, and and you know what? I'll even say this: If there was no issue with Logan Mayu, there there he was a great guy, which isn't the case necessarily. I would have taken 150 other players instead. Like I I was shocked he went in the first round because he's not good enough for the first round. Like that sounds mean, but like he was Tyler Boucher times ten. Like there, this guy was okay and in the Swedish third division like he was playing in hockey at 10, which is like I, a lot of Swedish scouts joke it's a beer league with a, with a few rules like it's not a great league and he was good as a defenseman he was fun offensively but like it wasn't like he was like dominant at any point he wasn't a guy that I really kind of stood out like you look at him and H- Hugo Gabrielson, I think is the one defenseman's name who is also playing on the same level and their play was fairly similar like it wasn't really all that different. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that pick because, man, like, the kid didn't want to get drafted. Well, he said he didn't want to get drafted. The team went ahead and did it. I think Timmons afterwards, the assistant GM, in the silence of of that question when he was asked, what what, what made you guys think it was okay to draft him after he said he didn't want to be drafted? And, and Timmons just, like, 23 seconds of silence on the mic and just awkward, like, blowing at the mic and like trying to figure out what his answer was going to be. Because even I think everyone in that organization knew that it was a, it was a dumb pick. And I think it was everyone in that organization knew it was a pick that they were going to have to explain and regret and everything. And at the end of the day, I think the the letter came out from Mark or from uh, Jeff Molson today. And he even called the pick a mistake, but we're going to live with it and try to move on. And it's like, well, I mean, you could have just not made the pick, guys. Like You knew this was going to happen. Like, we, we saw the Mitchell Miller situation last year. We, we knew what was going to happen. Why would you even bother making this pick, especially when I don't know how many other teams would have made any pick of him at any point in the draft because he was off so many teams' lists.
1: Yeah, just to follow that up, I mean, in a sense then – like, you're, you're saying his, his play was somewhat like Gabrielson's. I mean, I, I believe Gabrielson Gabriel's went uh, a little bit later in the draft there, but it, is this more of a storyline maker? Like, we're, we're looking to make headlines, or is this, like, just, you know, Mark Bergevin trumps everybody and kind of makes the pick?
2: Yeah, I think it was Mark Bergevin trumps everybody and makes the pick. And it was one of those situations where I think uh, GMs are going to try to make – the best pick and they're going to try to get the guy that they think they can be smarter than the whole room on. And uh, a lot of times you end up looking like an idiot when you do that, because you end up getting a guy that doesn't deserve to be drafted in that spot, or you end up reaching for a player that doesn't necessarily deserve to be drafted in that spot. And it it sucks because then you have a lot of deserving players not go. And I I look at guys that fell outside the first round, uh, a Scott Morrow, uh, Ayrton Martino, Logan Stankov, and Francesco Pinelli. even like, why not take those guys those guys are guys that played at the level that deserved to be picked in the first round and this kid didn't even play at that level realistically like I I don't know like Ethan Cardwell played at the the hockey 10 level and and he had a a lot of production as a forward like 27 points in 18 games I take him ahead of him like even a guy like Matt, Matt Matt Maggio like I, I don't know. For me, there was just not really a reason to take
0: him that high, even just based on his play. Tony, do you think that there's going to be a concern with this trend where, you know, you, you mentioned the Mitchell Miller situation Mayusa, um, what happened with him and the breaking news that unfolded? Do you think that this is going to be concerning where teams may may overlook that even more so?
2: I mean, it's a possibility. I think we've seen it in the NFL, where there are teams that are kind of notorious for taking the to the troubled cases on, and there are teams that are kind of uh, understandably uh, the targets for those those players and stuff. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if the NHL starts to develop that. Is is Carolina going to be a team that takes on dickheads, and is 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 Montreal going to be a team that's fine with? The odd transgression, like it, it's just going to be interesting to see because I think you're going to have teams like Toronto who was pretty public about not having him on their list or other teams like Edmonton who I didn't think had him on the list and, and you're going to go, are those the better teams? Are, are, are fans of those teams more comfortable cheering for those teams because they don't have to worry about necessarily the guy on their team that's going to be the, the cancer in the locker room or the, the dirt bag. And I, I think every team has... A lot of the problems, and, and, and I don't think any team is really going to be uh, innocent in this case, but I, I think it's going to be one of those situations where who's going to be the Oakland Raiders? Who's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals? Is that Montreal and Carolina? I, I don't know. We're going to we're gonna see, though, because I, I think everything that we're seeing the last few years is only going to intensify. I think you, these, this story was known about in November. Like there, there was a reason he wasn't on a lot of boards early on in the year. Um, And it was his play and it was this and and this was known pretty quickly after he got to Sweden, Um, the court cases played out and stuff and and acquiring documents to back it up was a little bit difficult. So a lot of time, a lot of a lot of people I know, just kind of took him off their board quietly and said, well, the process will play out. Um, I know I talked to NHL teams and and they asked me about him and i was like well here's the reason i don't have him on my board and, and it's his play and there's this and i don't have any proof because i'm not in sweden i get, i don't have access to police records but if you want to do your due diligence to and figure out what i heard if, whether it's true go for it and i, I had a couple of teams reach out and go oh okay so we looked into that and yeah uh, he's not on our board anymore so it's going to be interesting like i said to see what teams kind of do kind of become comfortable with shying away from that stuff or do become comfortable with accepting that onto the team.
1: I want to ask you quickly about a prospect that was passed over for the second year in a row. um, Somebody that we're looking to get on the show and and I want to get your thoughts on him. James Hardy, is he NHL caliber or is he somebody that uh, might never really get to that point? I think he
2: has NHL caliber tools. But I don't know if he has the package to get to that point. I, I, I think he's a fun player at the junior level. His shot's really good. I think he's a good offensive player. I, I think his skating needs to continue to improve. And he was, to me, he was a, a victim of this year of not playing. And, and the fact that he wasn't able to show whether or not his skating improved, the fact that he wasn't able to show his, his pace kind of pushing up the ice and, and the improvements that he could have made off the ice this season in terms of strength and conditioning and agility and speed, we, we didn't get a chance to see that. So going off of his tape from last year, yeah, there, there's still a lot of the issues that were, were the reason he didn't get drafted last year. So uh, I think he's a guy that should have get drafted this year. I, I probably would have taken him over a lot of these guys in the sixth and seventh round. Um, even the the goalie that Toronto take, like, took, I probably would have taken James Hardy over that because I think he's a guy that you take a chance on. He's a guy that, like I said, he has that that good shot. He has the good offensive game. And, and I think – there's something you can build there. And worst case, he's going to just tear up the AHL and be a really good score there for you. So for me, he's a guy that definitely deserves to get drafted, but I, I don't know where his NHL future is because we didn't get to see that skating this year and we didn't get to see any improvements that he made. But if he can improve that skating, I think he's more than serviceable as an NHL prospect.
0: Well, Tony, it was certainly a pleasure to talk to you. Um, it was great to have you on the show. I've followed your we've actually followed your work for quite some time. And there's a reason why you're one of the best in the business right now. And granted that you even though you're not a dauber, we still wish you the very best at uh, what what the what the future holds for you. And we wish you nothing but the best. But thank you for coming on to the show and we really do appreciate it.
2: Yeah, of course, guys. It's always fun to talk with you guys. And like I said, I'm always up for one of these late night recordings. This is fun. <laughs> We'll keep that in
1: mind for the future. Yeah, thanks, Tony. No problem, guys. Thanks a lot. Well, as always, Peter, uh, lots to say regarding the draft. Tony's a great follow. If you're not following him on Twitter already, definitely check him out. Um, well, some some pretty great takes in terms of what uh, what uh, he saw from the 2021 draft. But uh, yeah, I, I I highly recommend following him he's he's a great guy if you're looking into uh prospect rankings and and, and uh, little video submissions every
0: once in a while on
1: on the twitter first
0: mm-hmm. yeah great follow great guy to chat uh everything prospects with that has done a fantastic job over at dauber prospects um i i mean e- even like when he isn't talking about prospects he's just a really down-to-earth guy to talk to and Yeah, we were so happy to have him on this episode, and we'd like to have him on in the future, as always, with all the other guests that we have. But yeah, like you mentioned, if you haven't given him a follow, do so right now. He's very knowledgeable in the scouting world, very respected. And I mean, I've gone to him for some takes in the past uh, last year when I was starting off doing the draft guide, and I really valued his opinion. So thank you, Tony, for coming on. We really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And let's jump right over to Maple Leafs talk. That's why you guys always come and listen to our <laughs> show. Um, Lots to talk about. Um, Obviously, there's a very, very good chance that by the time this comes out, we'll know the future for Zach Hyman. Uh, lots of talks surrounding the fact that he will be signing with the Edmonton Oilers. The uh, Kyle Dubas not looking to help out the Oilers in terms of saving some cap and going and, and doing a sign and trade. Obviously, we weren't getting the value back. When I say we, I'm talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it looks as though Hyman will hit uh, unrestricted free agency. The talk is is that the Edmonton Oilers will be signing him to a seven year contract uh, in the range of 5.5 million. Um, kind of what we expected for Zach Hyman obviously you know Dubas saying what he said in that you know the Leafs tried to make room for him tried to figure out a way to get him signed things just didn't work out and you know they love Zach they love what he brought to the lineup but um, the team is set to move in a different direction Peter, what are your thoughts on one Zach Hyman signing with the Edmonton Oilers for for the uh, reported uh, amount, but two, you know, obviously seeing a guy like Zach Hyman leave the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh,
0: yeah. To be honest, five point five was probably the max I would go. Still too high. It's especially given the fact that, you know, it is in that six, seven years, given it its injuries. I've always been on the option of four, 4.5, point five, five mil the max for me, over five, at the most, six years. That, that extra year and a bit um, can go either way. Uh, if they made the trade and gave it to eight years, or if he was looking for eight years with Toronto, there's no way I would go eight because of the knee injuries. And the fact that, you know, he is that middle six forward 50 point guy. And, you know, he was on a career best this year before the injuries and, you know, would have had a lot more points if he played a full 82 game season. But I, that's just a big risk to take. You could pr- you could always find another Zach Hyman and, you The Maple Leafs, I think, did just that at the NHL draft. But going on to the next point, right now, uh, just talking about the contract and what I would do, it it is well. Actually, just tied in because I said, you know, there are there are not better options, but you can always find a replacement, maybe at a cheaper hit, less term, or even like try to go more term and less dollars to try and work it out in your favor. If not, I totally get that. But, you know, it's going to it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And we're I'm glad that he is getting the money that he deserves based on what he's done in the past. It's just it's not working out over here. They're tied up against the cap. And, you know, we have to say goodbye. It's tough because he is, you know, one of the guys on the team that, you know, they surround or that uh, players flock to. He's got a great attitude, great energy. Always has a smile on his face, and it, it it's going to be tough. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But you, like I said, you can always find another Zach Hyman in the future, do, or down the line. But his just his presence itself, it's just infectious, and I think it always gave the team hope.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, you know. There are replacements, unfortunately. You know, it's it's not a saying that people want to hear, but there are replacements. Um, there's a lot of speculation that uh, guys that could be competing for a regular season spot are Nick Robertson and uh, Joey Anderson. Those are two names that uh, Dubas brought up in his post draft uh, press conference. Um, he also mentioned that uh, you know Sandine and Lilligren will be will be uh, fighting for spots on the back end as well. Um, you know, in talking about the expansion draft, Kyle Dubas did say that, uh, you know, he didn't mind. He was content with, uh, you know, giving up Philip Hollander and a seventh-round pick to Pittsburgh for Jared McCann, knowing very well that uh, Seattle will likely be taking Jared McCann. Um, his, his sights were set on on protecting Justin Hall. And, you know, from from a fan standpoint, if it's the Hall that, Started off last season, I'm totally content with protecting him. I think there was a little bit of inconsistency down the stretch. But, uh, you know, Dubas did say on protecting Hall, he said, we know what he's capable of. We know who he is as a person. We have a strong belief in him. He signed for two more years. If he's gone, can we replace what he brings at that cap hit? So uh, kind of a two-part question there. First of all, you know, is he a guy that they can replace? And two, can they replace him at that cap hit? And, you know, that was the big question for Kyle Dubas. And and I think that's why he went the, the route he did in protecting Justin Hall. Um, do I think there's replacements out there for Justin Hall? Absolutely. As I mentioned, I think there's replacements for Zach Hyman. I think there's replacements for Justin Hall. I think it's just about going out there and finding uh, those pieces. But um, you know, Dubis is putting everything on the line for this team. And that's that's kind of, you know, that's what you want to see in a GM. Uh, you want to believe in it. You want to have, have faith in it. And uh, are you sold on Dubis's vision of what the 2021-22 Maple Leafs look like?
0: At first, I mean, everyone was up in ours because they wanted Jared McCann, because he seemed like the, also the perfect replacement for an Alexander Kerfoot or a um, Zach Hyman, so to speak, a uh, better option in that top six, middle six, forward position, wing position. And I can understand the frustration because I was one that wanted to keep McCann, go seven three one, expose Kerfoot, try and get Seattle to take him, and possibly expose Justin Hall. I was upset at first, but then he, hearing his explanation, I do get it. They gave up very little. I doubt that Hollander would have would have a significant impact on the team and a seventh round pick. Just to take McCann so that Seattle can protect him or take him, and then the Leafs have their basically their whole entire roster still intact. I do understand that point. I mean, can it? Like you said, if they get the Justin Hall that they started the season with, again, I'm totally on board. That the Justin Hall down the stretch and even in the playoffs, too, that really was a bit of concern for me. Um, I do also think that protecting or giving up very little assets in order to protect what you have also shows faith in Alex Kerfoot as well, given the fact that he did have a strong playoff and he was. Basically, one of the top performers in the absence of John Tavares. So, him and Nylander were forming that dynamic duo. Um, I also think that with Hall, in terms of like trying to find a replacement, it's there is, it's just a right hand D at that cap hit is, is, is great. 2 million who would want that. But at the same time, if there's a replacement option that can have a significant impact in free agency this year, not so much two years down the line, it's possible. But I think you also try to make that trade to try and bring that player in. Um, I remember um, Alex uh, Hobson, our fellow Maple Leaf writer wrote a great piece on, uh, deuce's decision to show faith in hall and in there he's showing or talking about the um percentages or numbers with justin hall playing with jake muzzin and without and you do see a bit of a decline there when he's not playing with jake muzzin so is there a fact that maybe justin hall isn't the kind of player that we had hoped and maybe jake muzzin is carrying that pairing it's possible but at the same time if he if he continues to show that physicality, the two way play, the shots that we saw early on, it's going to be great. But again, um, I mean, I, I would still love to have McCann, but I still also understand Dubas' reasoning because you gave up nothing just so that you could keep your roster intact despite Jared McCann having better numbers. So I, I think it, 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 it makes sense. I I I just maybe is it I just hope it doesn't backfire. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah,
1: remember too that like I mean Dubus isn't making these decisions on his own. He's got a whole patrol of people that surround him that you know have some input on these decisions at the end of the day. So we're sitting here trying to play our armchair GM to you know an expansion draft and <laughs> and and, and the NHL draft and and trying to figure it all out. And, you know, it might not always make sense to us, but we don't have those people kind of bringing their input in as well. So I, I do think, you know, what we saw from the Leafs, yeah, we had a bad first round um, against Montreal and ended up giving up that 3-1 series lead. But I do think that, you know, Dubas has faith in in what he saw in that team. And I think that's why he was looking to keep that that roster intact. And that meant keeping a guy like Kerfoot, who did perform in the playoffs, and and, and really showed a little extra oomph when, you know, maybe the depth of the Maple Leafs lineup wasn't exactly where it should have been. Um, but what is interesting to me is Dubis's comments about making this next season for the Maple Leafs kind of like, a last dance type of vibe Mm -hmm. Um, and anybody who's who's, you know on netflix should have watched that documentary i mean if you're a sports fan that it was it truly was a very good documentary the chicago bulls last dance um but here's his quote surrounding that statement for better or worse i believe in this group and i believe that they are going to get it done and i believe that they're going to win I understand that comes with certain doubt because of the fact that we have not broken through in the playoffs, but it's my belief that they will. I believe in them as players, I believe in them as people, and I know that that decision lies on me and what the risk is for me. We're going ahead that way, so I'm comfortable with it. I believe that we're going to see the best version of this group next season that we've seen yet, and I'm willing to bet everything on them. Part of me wonders if this is like a last-ditch effort by Kyle Dubas. Not so much that, you know, it's a guaranteed firing at the end of the season if all else doesn't go well or if they don't break through that first round once again, but is he putting himself on the line in saying that this is my lineup, this is what I've built, this is my expectation for this lineup. If it doesn't work out. I'm okay walking away at the end of the season.
0: Uh, yeah. Um, I, I I, do think that this is probably that last-ditch effort to try and get the best out of the team that he has because it is a very skilled team. Then again, um, we, th- th- this is kind of the same situation that happened with the Washington Capitals and the Tampa Bay Lightning, where perennial contender in the regular season only to not make a big impact in the playoffs and they've struggled quite a bit until washington finally won the cup tampa bay won the cup with their core um despite coming close and losing to the chicago blackhawks i believe it was in 2015 i believe um but yeah i do i i think this is just one last effort to try and get the most out of everybody Because when you have an, an elite playmaker like Marner, a proven veteran in the past like John Tavares, a sniper with Austin Matthews, you want to go far. And if it isn't, then I do think Dewis has to show the ability to show, hey, I've done everything to try and build this team and make it the best possible. It's now coming down to you guys. And they couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And I get the frustration is still there with everybody right now. But if he's able to break through and get the most out of everybody, we're in a great spot. But if we have another first round exit, expect a move to be coming in the, honestly, I do think that if they do move on for somebody, I think you're looking at Marner being one of the guys I, given how Nylander has progressed so far, I think you try to hang on to him um, but you do need to make a major shakeup if things don't pan out for another year because this core has been intact for 5 in 0-5. I mean, that, that, that record says it all, but it, the fact that he wants to stick with this group, Washington stuck with their core, Tampa Bay stuck with their core. I think there's hope. It's just that the players need to show it right now.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, management right now is trying to do the best they can do. Obviously, mm-hmm. we saw Felino come in last year. We saw Galchenyuk come in last year. We saw them trying to make the moves, fill in the pieces, fill in the holes that they need to do. They got TJ Brody brought him in. He had, a, he had an incredible year. Zach Bogosian had a better year than I think most expected him to. Um, at a certain point, it comes down to the product on the ice. And if they're not getting it done, I mean you know, it's not the coach. It's not the GM. It's you're, you're starting to look at trades. And mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that has not had playoff success for far, far too long, especially with the fan base, fan base that they have. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's a conversation that's going to be had, um, over the next year. Do they, they, do they move assets like Mitch Marner or do they, uh, go a different road, uh, in, in the press or in the, uh, management uh, way in, in the sense that maybe Kyle Dubas is not the guy. Um, and and I think that's where the conversation's is headed. Um, if in fact, this is a last dance mentality
0: to this season. I do think that Dubas had, again, like you mentioned, you they brought in TJ Brody. He extended Muzzin, made the trade to get him, Campbell. He's done the right moves. It's just... Again, I do think it's more so the on-ice product than it is Dubis, And I you hear Shanahan still support Kyle Dubis and everything that he's said and done with the transaction. So they appear to be on the same page. He has this guy in Sheldon Keith, and he's had a good record in the regular season. Um, last year in the postseason, in the bubble, didn't quite get the most out of everybody despite being a rookie coach. More to work with this time around. No results maybe it, it maybe he maybe even keith gets through to the players as well um you hear the vote of confidence from the gm now you got to hear it from the coach to try and get your best foot forward right now and i do think that it's again i know i sound like a broken record this is going to be more on the players than it is on Dubas, than it is on keith than it is on shanahan because they at the beginning of this whole entire process they had they were doing the right things and it's now just a player mentality getting over that hump and getting over the past results and coming out on top.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, part of part of being in that front office is, is what you can do with your the draft picks you were given. And, I mean, we want to talk about the Maple Leafs draft. This was a very, very short <laughs> list for the Maple Leafs this year. Uh, three yeah. draft picks over seven rounds. Um, a lot of chatter going in, wondering if you know maybe Dubis will work some magic and find a way back into the first round again. But uh, did not do so. That said, they did have a second round pick. Um, they took Matthew Neese um, out of, uh, I believe it is while well, he's
0: Tri City Storm.
1: Yes, Tri City Storm. He's committed to the University of Michigan or Minnesota's rather, uh, the NCAA next season taken 57th overall, um, trains in Arizona, from Arizona, a little bit of a tie maybe to Austin Matthews at some point. Big kid, 6'3", 205 pounds, uh, center left wing, so has the ability to play both uh, both on the wing and down the middle. What are your thoughts on this, this uh, draft
0: pick? Given the fact that, you know, there were still some better names on my, you know, top best player available kind of list uh, for the draft, um, I probably would have gone with, I mean, based on the past and knowing the mentality of Kyle Dubas, I would have gone for a skill. I would have gone for um s- a player like Oliver Kapanen. I would have gone for a Sasha job. I would have gone for an Ayrton Martino. Because those players were still available when the Maple Leafs were picking. Um, I I do love this pick though. I given the fact that, you know, they have a lot of skill up front with like Nick Robertson um, Mikhail Ab- Abramov, they got some good mobility on the back end, Raspisendi's coming up, Topini Nela, um, Mikko kokonen has got some good depth on defense. I think they wanted to try and address that whole middle six depth kind of player or role player for the future. And I mentioned before that you can easily find a Zach Hyman replacement. And I do think that Matthew Nyes does serve as that. He's already got the size. He's got the ability to play in all situations, power play, penalty kill, five on five, hard nose, goes into the gritty areas, lays a hit, can set up a forecheck. But the big thing that separates him and Zach Hyman um, is the fact that he's got better hands in tight to make moves quickly on a goalie and his shot. His shot is... he can shoot the puck from Austin Matthews spot and score just like Austin Matthews. I'm not saying that he's going to put up 40, 50 goals like Austin Matthews, but he does have good power. He does have a quick flick of the wrist. He does have good accuracy. And not only that, he had three shorthanded goals this past season and he's pretty good at five on five with 20 even strength primary uh, points with, um, uh, tri-city and that's according to a, a site called pick 224 that is a really great site in terms of prospects and uh more in-depth stats there i i really do like this pick i really do think it balances everything out um when Ma- when the maple leafs pick players that are over six feet it doesn't usually turn out well this one i think is going to turn out very well for them
1: yeah, no, I agree. Um, Eighty-seven points in eighty-eight regular season games over the last two seasons with Tri City, um, as you mentioned, thirty-one goals, uh, big assist machine, uh, fifty-six assists over that span as well. Uh, he's a guy that uh, plays well away from the puck as well. And I think that's a big, big uh, plus for him. as uh, when when you talk about a guy, you know, obviously losing a guy like Zach Hyman who played really well away from the puck um you know this is a guy who who has the body positioning he he knows he knows which areas to get into how to win puck battles along the boards um has the awareness inside the offensive uh, zone as well as you know the ability to play a, a physical game as well so you you talk about size you talk about skill i i i do love this pick um I know there was some some names on the board that uh, could definitely have, have replaced him in terms of, you know, what they offer up skill wise. I just think when you're talking about the all around game, um, he he really fits the mold in terms of what he can bring to the uh, the lineup if, in fact, he does at some point make it to the Maple Leafs roster. Mm-hmm. So I, I love this pick as as a second round pick. Um, that said, the Leafs did not pick again until the, the fifth round, 153rd overall, where they took Ty Voigt, uh, Pittsburgh native, out of the Sarnia Sting organization in the OHL. Obviously, did not get his OHL season this past year. But again, another smaller guy, 5'10", 161 pounds, center left wing, um, kind of back to the mold of what they what they've drafted in the past but uh yeah I I think again offers up a lot of skill um he he plays really creative off the puck um can can kind of uh just break down uh, defensive players uh break down defensive systems really takes on a lot of the defensive pressure and is able to kind of Open up the ice for his line mates. Um, a lot of skill for
0: a fifth round pick. Yeah, absolutely. And I, in my rankings, I had him as a fourth rounder. Probably would have been higher had there been an OHL season. But he's definitely a player that benefited from the PBHH Invitational, um, one of the uh, a tournament or a scouting uh, session that was put together by a bunch of OHL players, including Andrew Parrott that we've had on this show. And he had seven assists and 10 points in 10 games there. So he really made an impact and made a name for himself there because clearly the Maple Leafs liked what they saw with him. But even in the past, too, looking at some of the clips, he's he is very silky and creative as a playmaker. Um, Loves to draw in everybody to free up the space, as you mentioned, to get everyone uh, else open. So he has great vision. He has a determination needs to get stronger. I believe he has mentioned that he wants to hit up the gym as well. Um, So if he's going to get stronger in that regard, um, then the Maple Leafs may not necessarily have struck gold with this, but they do have a very serviceable player that maybe can like nice be in that middle six option. Maybe even be a really great energy kind of third player, third-line kind of player, sorry, um, based on the fact that, you know, he can't protect the puck very well. He does have that, you know, vision to f- find his teammates even in the most difficult situations. So I, I I really love this pick as well. Yeah, no, very solid
1: pick. And the, the Leafs closed it out by picking a goaltender in the sixth round, 185th overall, with their third pick of the draft. Um, obviously, out of Russia, Vyacheslav Peksa, uh, Urbis Kazan of the MHL. He uh, in, last year played 17 games, 2.57 goals against, with a 9.09 save percentage, one shutout, and an eight five and two win loss record. Um, not not really a prospect that we knew a whole lot about uh, following the pick, but uh, you know, again, those Russian goalies have. Excelled at the NHL level. Um, you want to talk about Andre Vasilevsky? You want to talk about, you know, Bobrovsky? There, 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 have been some fantastic Russian goalies over the years, uh, and, and in in recent memory as well. And one thing that uh, our colleague over at the Hockey Raiders, Alex Hobson, said, you can never have enough goaltending prospects. So, the Leafs did close it out with Peksa. Any quick thoughts on that pick uh, in the
0: sixth round? Um, he's a goalie. Um, uh, there, <laughs> there, there really wasn't much on him. And as I was writing this, cause I was writing it as uh, the draft was going on and I'm trying to search up. There are a lot of goalies that I would have had in mind. Like even one of them was a Krell, uh, Kirill, uh who was taken by the Florida Panthers earlier. So I'm like, okay, that's gone. But um, I was struggling to try and find anything on him. Um, you mentioned his numbers. He is he is teammates with Arter Aktiyamov, who was a fourth round pick in twenty twenty last year from the Maple Leafs. While um, well, he was moving up and down between the MHL, VHL, and KHL, um, PEXA saw this as an opportunity to gain more ice time and. I, I, based on how well Aktiayev has progressed and how, the numbers that he's producing um, throughout all three levels in Russia, I think the Maple Leafs are betting on this team and their develop and the goalie development system over there. That maybe be they do have something with uh, Peksa in place that maybe he can turn into something. Average numbers, but I mean. it it can work out in their favor. I mean, we've seen late round goalies have great success and maybe he could be one of them. And you know what? Again, like you said, and like uh, in quoting Alex, you can never have too much depth. Uh, The the pool was already thin as is. There's still some uncertainty with Joseph Wall and uh, definitely Ian Scott at this point. But to bring him on, um, despite not being a lot out of there, I mean, let's give him a shot. Let's go
1: yeah no absolutely again not much out there um the 2021 draft was a little thin a lot of players that we ranked some of them didn't even go um fantastic work by matt zader over at the hockey writers really mm-hmm. breaking down the draft having his draft guide go uh, go live for the hockey writers a lot of pro uh, prospect profiles we i believe set a new record this year over at the hockey writers with how many draft profiles we got out there. A lot of those players didn't even get drafted this year. Um, And as, you know, we continue draft coverage, we uh, will definitely have on, um, I believe we're going to have a guest on in the next couple of weeks who went undrafted for the second year running. Very happy to have him on. Very excited to have him on. Um, And, and, you know, we talk about undrafted players all the time. Mark Tennis St. Louis, Ed Belfort. Curtis Joseph, if you want to talk about a couple of former Leafs. Um, Yanni Gord. Mark, Yanni Gord, Mark Giordano. A ton of undrafted players have gone on to have successful NHL careers. This is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And to all those players that were drafted this year, congratulations. Huge shout-out to you. Um, unless your first name starts with L, or your, your last name starts with M, then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, let's take a year. But... Yeah. Uh, to to those who did go undrafted, put your head down, get into the grind. You own your road now. This yeah. is just the beginning. There's a long road ahead of you. There's different routes into becoming a pro. Don't let this tear you down. Um, and as I mentioned, we look forward to having our next guest on. Um, but for the time being, Peter, another fantastic week, another busy week. The brother theme really drove the week for us. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, anything you want to get off your chest or shout out to our uh, our, our listeners?
0: Um, I, I was actually able to get back on Netflix over the past few days doing all the draft prep and everything like that. And I was able to... Watch some shows that I was really, really happy to watch in the past and finish up. Um, I'm a big animation guy, so I watched a show called Close Enough. It's by the creator of Regular Show. Um, if you don't know that, it's random animated comedy. Um, really enjoyed that show. I, I really love this one. I can't wait for season three to come out. But also, I watched Batman Hush. I am really into the whole DC animated series. Batman's my favorite um, storyline. And I've watched a lot of great animated movies. Um, Batman Year One, Killing Joke, um, Batman vs. Robin. Um, this one is up there with me. And I was really happy to watch it for the first time this past weekend. And man... That 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 is one of my favorite ones at this moment. Mm-hmm. Well, there you
1: go. A couple of Netflix <laughs> recommendations. Normally, I'm the one throwing out a few document documentaries, but there you go with the uh, Netflix recommendations. Definitely check it out. Um, I will say
0: this Hush was on TV, so I'm not sure if it's on Netflix, but if it is on Netflix, check it out.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, I did want to say I'm, I'm hoping, I'm kind of hoping here that my my dad doesn't listen to the podcast. I mean, I love the support. I love the downloads, but um i have to admit i so his birthday's coming up august 18th mm-hmm. um and i don't normally know what to get him you know how parents are just you know we would love to see that's all i want to see that's all mm-hmm. i want for my birthday we want to yep. see now it's we want to see our grandson um so <laughs> that's kind of the answers i get when we ask for you know christmas gift ideas and and uh birthday gift ideas but I was sitting there just surfing the net one day. And my dad, as I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, my dad's a huge Chicago Blackhawks fan, um, grew up, you know, Bobby Hall was his guy. The Golden Jet. Um, Anyways, long story short, he has a jersey that uh, from when he was a kid, an old Blackhawks jersey with the number nine on the back. His number's always been number nine. He used that uh, this this past week, wrapping up uh, my nephew's Toronto St. Pat's jersey. Uh, my Aww. nephew's a huge Toronto Maple Leafs fan, wanted a Toronto St. Pat's jersey, so my dad shoved it inside the Blackhawks jersey. As soon as my my nephew <laughs> opened it up, he, he threw it down and said, Blackhawks jersey, I don't want this. Um, so um, that's four years old, by the way, four years old. Um, anyways, I was surfing the net came across a signed um, Bobby Hall Jersey uh, mm. with with all the all the paperwork um, anyways picked that beauty up for my dad for his birthday hey. a had a whopping now now I would normally believe this would go for four or five hundred dollars you got I, got a a, I got a bargain I am always looking for the bargains when it comes to memorabilia Hundred and fifty dollars, hundred and fifty dollars signed Bobby Hall Blackhawks jersey. I don't know what my dad's going to use it for. I don't know if he'll ever put it up on the on the the wall, but that for me is going to be a memento gift for for you know my dad who 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 loves the Blackhawks, loves Bobby Hall. I think it's a, like I said. I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, just very excited to give him that and, uh, was able to, to really lock that one down.
0: If he does and you're in the vicinity, just quickly come in and like shut off the wifi or anything just like that, just so that he doesn't hear this. Hold the plug. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hold the plug. Just for like, you know, five, 10 minutes and they'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's back up and working. And then maybe the episode's already done playing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> But, no, that is a really great finding at that price, too, man. Man, I, the way that you described it and the way that you described him as a Blackhawks fan, I have no doubt that he's going to be loving that gift no matter what. And you know what? If I, were, if I was getting that, the first thing I would be doing is just framing it up right then and there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Lock it down. Lock yeah. that down. Yeah, no, st- no, absolutely. No stains. No nothing. It's safe in the glass.
1: That's right. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Um, but yeah, for, for me that, uh, that closes out this episode, Peter, anything that you've got in the works over at the hockey writers?
0: Um, shifting over to the draft, um, shifting from the draft over to the free agency side of things right now. So getting prepped for that and, uh, yeah, it's still nonstop for me right now. How about you, man? While I as I mentioned, I think I'll throw out a
1: little quick early twenty twenty two draft top picks. Maybe do a top ten, maybe top twenty. We'll see how that goes. Nice. But as always, our coverage will continue over at the Hockey Writers. A lot of great content, a lot of great writers over there. You know, really putting in the work. As we mentioned, Matt Zader did a fantastic job. You know, mm-hmm. really heading the. Um, 2021 NHL draft coverage over the hockey Raiders. So shout out to him with that said that closes out episode 49 of sticks in the six podcast. Again, as always, we want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. You can follow Peter over on Twitter at P barracchini. You can follow myself if you really want those hot takes over at Andrew G Forbes, um, or follow the podcast at Six sticks in the Six Pod S T I X I N T H E Six I X P O D. We're on Twitter and we're on Instagram. Check us out. You can head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to the podcast uh, to download our latest episodes. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you rate. Make sure you review and check us out on YouTube so we can continue to bring you all kinds of content going forward. Until next time, that's it for Peter and myself. See you next week. Have a good one.